0: You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today, and wherever you are listening, we hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning, Bayshore. Thank you so much for being a part of this weekend at Bayshore. We're so grateful that you're a part every weekend. So many of you guys are just faithfully watching online, and we're just so grateful for you. Wherever you're watching from, maybe you're watching from the kitchen, the living room, maybe you're in your office, wherever you are, thank you so much for being a part of this weekend at Bayshore. I have to tell you, I count it an incredibly pri- an incredible privilege to be able to talk to you every weekend, and it's just a real big treat for me to be able to communicate with you. So thank you so much for being with us this weekend, for this weekend's experience at Bayshore. So make sure you take a moment and share this with, uh, with your uh, media family, let them know you're watching, and get the word out, and that's going to really help all of us as we study together. Well, we're in a series called uh, Mega Moments, and this is a series that's going to be about an eight-week series, got a couple more weeks after this, and we're talking about the Mega moments months in the Old Testament. And the goal of course for us to do this is to help you understand the Bible better so the Bible makes more sense to you so when you pick it up for yourself and read it uh, you can connect the dots because that's our goal so you can really think for yourself and read the word for yourself as well as uh, come to church or listening online to be a part of Bayshore. So we wanna help you in that regard. So we've been looking at the different big moments in the uh, Old Testament and we come today, last week we actually talked about David and uh, when you think about King David, King David was 1,000 years, 1,000 years from Jesus. So when you get to King David in the Old Testament, you're 1,000 years from Jesus being born in Bethlehem. So when you think about Jesus at Christmas time being born in Bethlehem, 1,000 years before that, was when David was born in Bethlehem. So just helping you to connect the dots. So today we're going to be looking at David's son, uh, Solomon, who took over for him after uh, David uh, left the scene and uh, went to uh, sleep with his father, as it says in the Old Testament. So when, when David died, it was his son Solomon, his youngest son, that took over for him. So what's important about Solomon is Solomon, we have to, we can't skip over Solomon, there's a lot of kings, but we have to pause at Solomon because Solomon did this really, really amazing thing. He built the temple, he built this temple so that all of Israel came to Jerusalem to offer sacrifice and to worship Yahweh. So there was this centralized place of worship that the Israelites worshiped the Lord. And here's what's interesting about this. If you read the Chronicles version of Solomon, what you'll discover is that Solomon built the temple on Mount Moriah. Now, where is Mount Moriah? Where have we heard that before in this series? Well, Mount Moriah was where Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice Isaac on the altar there. And of course, that was a picture of the father giving his son. And so now we have this temple being uh, built by Solomon. This is the most important thing that Solomon did. It was like one of the wonders of the world when he built it. And he built that temple and there was a major sacrifice that took place there at the temple. Here's a picture of the temple, we have several pictures, but it was just a, a, just a beautiful edifice and uh, the people were so proud of this temple and there was a place for sacrifice. We have some other pictures as well that gives you sort of a, a different view of what the temple looked like. Uh, this is a really good one, you can see, where, this is the, the big altar where they would sacrifice the animals and then you can see it's sort of segued so you can look inside and see where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies. And uh, so this is the temple that Solomon built, and it was built on the very location where, where Abraham took Isaac for Isaac to be uh, as a type of Jesus being sacrificed. So it's an incredible thing that Solomon did. And so uh, if you read through the life of Solomon, there comes this point where the temple is completed and he offers these sacrifices. He, he, he uh, has about 21,000 oxen sacrificed, and then 120,000 sheep that he sacrifices. And then the glory of the Lord, the presence of God comes into that place where the sacrifice has been been made, and you see this beautiful, beautiful uh, presence of God that comes in to the temple. So it's an incredible thing. It's a big moment. And uh, Jesus went to this area. This temple was torn down later. And then there was Herod's temple on the spot. But this is an important, important thing that, that Solomon did. So when you think about Solomon, uh, one of the things that, that happens in this temple is that in this temple, uh, in the Holy of Holies, there's these cherubim, these big angels. And uh, you can see them there. These, these big angels, they're cherubim. And uh, these cherubim are, are the same angels that you would see in the Garden of Eden. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they were ejected from the Garden of Eden? Uh, It was cherubim that stood there with a flaming sword that kept Adam and Eve from coming back in. So the cherubim represent these uh, angels that have barred uh, the people from God's presence because of the sin of man. So in the Holy of Holies, you see these cherubim, and they're there, and there's two sets of cherubim here. There's these gigantic cherubim, and then there's these little cherubim that are on top of the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. If you saw Indiana Jones, the Ark of the Covenant, you know what the Ark of the Covenant is. And I want to show a picture. Here's the Ark of the Covenant, and these are cherubim, and cherubim, you know, some people make them to look different than other people. But the cherubim, notice how they're looking down on this lid. What's inside of this um, this big box is the Ten Commandments. And remember when we studied about Moses, how Moses had, uh, uh, you know, he when he came down from the mount, he threw the ta- the, ta- the the tablets and he broke them, which symbolized that all of us have broken God's law. So inside. Of this, of this place and this little box here, this golden box, the Ark of the Covenant, are the Ten Commandments. And we've all broken the Ten Commandments. So when the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, when he comes into that holy place, he comes to this Ark of the Covenant and what does he do? He sprinkles blood of the sacrifice on this, this lid that's called the mercy seat. So he sprinkles the blood of the, of the sacrifice on that mercy seat and what are the angels looking at? What are these cherubim looking at? The cherubim aren't looking at the high priest that's a sinner, the cherubim are looking at the sacrifice that's been made and their focus is on the sacrifice and therefore there is no judgment on the man standing there. So we are free of God's judgment, we're free of God's wrath, we're free of God's judgment and condemnation because a sacrifice has been made through us, not the sacrifice that Hebrew says of a blood, of the blood of a goat or a lamb, uh, but the blood of Jesus. And it says that John saw uh, Jesus on the uh, shore of the Jordan River, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus shed his blood in heaven, his blood was sprinkled before our Heavenly Father and that blood sacrifice has become the, the appeasement and our forgiveness is secure because of the sacrifice. So Solomon made this temple. And so that's a big deal. And, and Solomon he prays this incredible prayer in uh, in uh, First Kings and also in First Chronicles. He prays this prayer that when this temple is done, that wherever the people of God are, they can pray for the pray toward this temple. If they've sinned, they can confess their sin and their sin will be forgiven, and they can always look toward this temple to pray. So that's the big thing that Solomon did, and so it's a mega moment, it's a mega moment. Now, 1,000 uh, years into the future, okay, this is 1,000 years before Christ, but if we go 1,000 years into the future, there's another moment that's really important. It's because right around where this temple is, on Mount Moriah, is another hill called the Hill of Golgotha, And that is where Jesus dies. So Jesus dies right in this region where this temple is, and he's the ultimate sacrifice. So that's how all that fits together. And so uh, Solomon is important because he is a mega moment because he builds the temple. And uh, it's an incredible, incredible uh, story there. Now, I want to just take a few minutes today to just talk about about uh, Solomon himself. You know, I was, I, the big moment about Solomon is the temple, but when I started reading about Solomon, I just couldn't get away from his story himself, who Solomon was. His name means peace, by the way. Solomon needs, means peace. Now, here's the thing about Solomon the first thing about Solomon that just really kind of blows my mind is that he was the person that God chose to follow David uh, on the throne. Now David had 17 other sons, so he's got a lot of sons. So, and and Solomon was the youngest. So it's sort of unlikely that Solomon would be the person that God would choose to take over for King David, the greatest king ever, and the Davidic dynasty and all that, but it was Solomon. Now think about Solomon. There's such a beautiful picture here of God's grace, Solomon, Solomon was, the, uh, was the product of an illicit relationship. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. And so this is the woman that David had an affair with and David had this illicit relationship with Bathsheba and the first child that they had died and then, uh, you know, David was responsible for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah's uh, death. And so we have this terrible, ugly scene in the life of David It's his worst moment, and out of this this relationship, this illicit relationship, comes a little boy that's probably about 12 or 13 years old at this time, and Solomon becomes the person that God chooses to take over for King David, and this this was the person that represented that illicit relationship in David's darkest moment when David sinned. And I want you to know this, that God takes our mistakes, God takes our failures, God takes our worst moments and turns them into miracles. God takes uh, the things that we've really messed up and blown it. Now, I don't know, if, as you're listening to me, if you've ever blown it. I'm sure you have, and you've blown it, and maybe you've really messed up. Maybe you've kind of messed up your family. Maybe you've messed up, you know, your personal life. Maybe you have just created a crisis, and you have autographed it. It's your fault. You've made all these mistakes. And I want you to know that God can take ugly things and turn them into beauty. God can take our biggest failures and turn them into incredible blessings. So I think our God delights in taking those things that are so messed up, that are so, uh, just sort of so ugly, so bad, so dark, and he can turn them into something incredibly beautiful. When I was a little boy, some of you probably remember, you know, watching Billy Graham on TV, and Billy Graham would have these big crusades, and there was, they had different people that would sing uh, on Billy Graham, you know, Johnny Cash and Andre Crouch, and all these different people would sing, but one of uh, George Beverly Shea, maybe you remember George Beverly Shea, that deep baritone voice, but he also, uh, Billy Graham regularly had a woman by the name of Ethel Waters sing. And Ethel Waters was born about 1900. And here's Ethel Waters standing with Billy Graham and his wife Ruth uh, getting ready for a crusade. And she's laughing. And I don't know if you know about Ethel Waters, but she was the first black woman ever to have her own TV show. To have her own TV show. And she sang on Broadway. She had, was in movies. Uh, she wrote incredible uh, uh, songs that were hits. She sang blues. She sang jazz. And she was one of the most famous people... Uh, in America in the early 1900s, 1930, in that period of time. But I don't know if you know this about Ethel Waters, but when uh, her mother was 13 years old, her mother was raped. Her mother was raped by an older man that raped her, and the, the uh, Ethel Waters' mother kept that baby, and that baby was Ethel Waters. That God took that awful awful thing that ugly thing and he made something incredibly beautiful out of it so I just want you to know today that God is able to take the darkness he's able to take the failures he's able to take our biggest mistakes and he's able to transform those into something absolutely incredible God is a God who redeems our garbage and turns it into glory God is a God who redeems our garbage and turns it into glory. So if you've messed up, I want you to know that Solomon shows us that God will take the undesirable, he'll take the darkness, he'll take the ugly, he'll take the failures, and he'll create out of that something something incredibly beautiful. And Solomon became one of the greatest kings ever, and he ruled all the way from Egypt, all the way to Syria, and he had a kingdom of wealth, he had a kingdom of prosperity, and he was incredibly, incredibly blessed. Now another thing about Solomon, now this is an interesting thing about Solomon. Solomon was the child of an illicit relationship, and God redeemed that. Uh, Secondly, Solomon was a king that never fought a battle. He never fought a battle. He never led an army into war. There were no wars in Solomon's time. Now, there is a little picture there. Solomon is a type of Christ because there's coming a time when Christ will set up his reign on this planet. He'll set up his reign on this earth and he will cause there to be peace and there'll be no wars and the swords will be turned into plowshares. Because our God is a God who is one day going to establish peace and justice on this planet and there will be no war and there'll be no planning of war anymore. There'll be no more armies, there'll be no wars, there'll be no more uh, weapons created because the Lord will reign in absolute peace. Solomon is a picture of that. He's a picture of coming peace. But what's interesting to me about Solomon is he never ever picked up a sword. He never, ever led an army into battle and he never, never, ever did that. Now we know from Chronicles uh, that there's actually a place in Israel called Megiddo. Megiddo is a place where we found, it's been discovered by different people, uh, different archaeologists, and it's a, a place where Solomon collected horses and chariots from Egypt, but he never, ever was able to use those chariots and horses to go into war because there was no war in his lifetime. And it means, Solomon means peace. He means peace. Now why was Solomon uh, blessed to not have to go to war and not have to fight battles? It's because his father David, his father David had fought all the battles. His father, David, was a man of war, was a warrior, and he wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had blood on his hands because he was constantly uh, in battle and he was constantly uh, engaged in warfare. And he subdued and he defeated all the enemies before Solomon came on the scene. So Solomon is the recipient, he's the recipient of David's effort and David being a faithful warrior. Now, let me just read to you a little bit of an archaic passage here just for a moment to show you that uh, David was an incredible a war, a warrior. Uh, first, second uh, Samuel, chapter six, verse uh, one. It says a uh, second Samuel, chapter one, verse 14. It says in the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And he took the Metheg and Amma from the control of the Philistines. Verse two. David also defeated the Moabites. And verse 3, moreover, David defeated Hadezer, son of Rahab, king of Zobah, uh, when he went to restore the monument of the Euphrates River. Verse 4, David captured a thousand chariots. And then it says in verse 6, he put garrisons in the uh, Armean kingdom of Damascus and the Armeans became subject to him and brought him tribute. The Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So there's constant, if you read about David, battle after battle after battle after battle, and David defeated all of the enemies, and when Solomon came to reign, the enemies had all been subdued. And so Solomon was a recipient. He was a recipient of the battles that David had fought for him. And I want you to think about people that fight battles for us so we don't have to fight a battle. We just, this last week, we celebrated... Veterans Day, and I just want to reiterate again to all you veterans out there, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your service to our country. And I hope if when you see some uh, uh, soldier in a restaurant or at an airport that you always thank them for their service. But we are recipients of a wonderful country because there are people like, for instance, the greatest generation ever, in uh, World War II that went and fought against Nazism and all the stuff that was happening in Germany and the world was completely in chaos and a generation of people, a generation of people uh, fought for freedom and you and I now have so much freedom because other people paid an incredible price for that. Freedom is not free. Freedom is never free. Freedom costs somebody a great deal. Freedom costs somebody everything. So uh, we can have peace. And hey, our country's got issues, but let me tell you something. It's an incredible country that you and I live in. And you and I should be incredibly grateful that we have grocery stores that are full of food, that we got roads that work well, that we have good internet most of the time. And things are a blessing in this country because other people paid a significant price. So freedom is never free. So Solomon... Didn't fight any battles because other people had fought the battles for him. David had fought the battles for him. I think about uh, this last election. We had all of uh, our ladies that were able to vote. And they uh, voted. Now my wife Karen, I mean, she's, she's smarter than I am. There's no question about that. She's smarter and she's wiser than I am. But do you know that there was a time when women couldn't vote in this country? How crazy and how stupid is that? We need the wisdom of women and so women are able to go to the polls and vote now, but there was a time when, during the women's suffrage movement that there were women that marched and they were persecuted and things were thrown at them as they marched in the street and they paid a price so that others could find freedom. Nothing that we experience is ever free. Somebody else paid the price For us so that we can enter in to the benefits of those things that have been carried on to us for us by other people I think about you know we come to church and and we we sing these great great contemporary songs And we worship the Lord and and, uh, it's just such an incredible experience here at Bayshore at all of our campuses. I mean, each of our bands are a little different, but they're all terrific and incredible. And we sing all these contemporary songs. But you realize back in the 1960s, there was an incredible controversy about singing modern music in churches. and, And there was all kinds of rebellion and denominations were splitting and there were pastors that lost their job because the Holy Spirit was moving and people were worshiping in a fresh way. And it was incredibly controversial. And I know of, uh, for instance, my, my dad, when he started his church back in 1974, he was a Methodist pastor and the Methodist church wasn't really open to what the Holy Spirit was doing at that time. And there were some issues there. And my dad was sort of, sort of forced out of his, his position. And he started a church. He started a church in Seaford, Delaware on Shipley Street, in Gruel's funeral home, the only place he could find to meet was a little chapel of a funeral home. And the first Sunday back in February in 1974, my dad started a church with 70 people that were hungry for the Lord. And they worshiped the Lord and they glorified the Lord. And we sang a new type of song. And it wasn't just three hymns and, and, and a poem. It was worshiping the Lord with our hands raised up. And now churches all across this community have modern worship. And have times of incredible intimacy with the Lord. And this modern worship and contemporary worship that you and I are experiencing today, where that that freedom and that trend was started by people that had to pay a price for that. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that in our organization here at Bayshore, we have incredibly, uh, incredible young leaders. We have uh, leaders that are in their 20s and leaders that are in their 30s. We've got incredible leaders and uh, I'm telling you, I want it to be easy for them. I fought some battles for them years ago, uh, battles about the type of worship we're going to do, the battles about about how the church is going to be run and and that we can can be creative and we can do different things and those battles that I fought uh, are hopefully going to be beneficial to people that are leading in the next generation and so Solomon he comes in in peace and he's experiencing the freedom that that, that somebody else has, has purchased and paid for I think about kids that go to college you know and uh, you know they 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 go to college and 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 their mom and dad have had a dream for them to get through college and maybe their mom and dad didn't go to college but they've had a dream for them to go to college and they have scrimped and they have saved and they've worked hard and they've you know, got things arranged financially so their kids can go to college. There was a man that used to be on my board, he, was a, he wasn't a wealthy man, but he was a, a, a good manager of his money. He worked hard, and there was a time during a recession he had to work two jobs, and he saved his money, and he paid for his house, and he, he, he drove simple cars, and he was very frugal, and he sent two of his kids, his two kids, his two daughters, to really some of the finest colleges everywhere. And those girls went to school, and they came out of those colleges with a really good career. And they, they didn't have to work during the college years. They were able to study, They were able to get their degree, and they were able to come to a place where they could be successful in life. And I'm here to tell you that they were entering into the blessing, they were entering into the blessing of the war that their dad and mom had fought. So Solomon was a recipient of the effort and the sacrifice and the blood and tears of his father, David. David. I remember when Karen and I were in Baba College, uh, we were uh, we were not. You know, wealthy, We didn't have a lot of money. We lived in Pensacola, Florida. The school I went to was in Pensacola, Florida, and we went to school there. And I remember one Christmas, we came home from, uh, from Baba College, and we were home visiting our family. And I went up to see my grandfather. My grandfather was my hero. He was just a simple farmer. He had a little 60-acre farm, and he, did, he lived in a little, uh, he and my grandmother lived in a little farmhouse, and the floor was uneven, and the linoleum was, was, was torn, and they lived in this little house. And my granddad, my granddad, you know, he just was a hard worker and he loved me. He loved me. I used to sit on the the step with him and we would whittle sticks with our pen knives and he he would talk to me and he loved me. And he gave, if I ever needed anything fixed, if my bike needed to be fixed, he could fix my bike. If I needed a, uh, you know, a little house built for my rabbit, he would build that. He was just an incredible granddad. But I remember, you know, he didn't have a lot of money. But I remember he used to have this hobby. He would collect 50-cent pieces, and uh, he just loved 50-cent pieces. He would collect them. He'd got one at the store, at the Acme store. He, would, he had this coffee can, and he would put it in the coffee can, and he would you know, pour that coffee can out, and he'd look at those 50-cent pieces, and he would look at the, the dates, and he, would just, he just revered these 50-cent pieces. And one year when I was coming home from, uh, was home from Christmas, and I was getting ready to go to the airport to fly back to Pensacola with Karen, and I went up to see my granddad before I left, and he's talking to me. And he reaches, and he gets that coffee can with those 50-cent pieces that he loves. And he reached into, those, into that coffee can, and he took a big handful of 50-cent pieces. And he, and he handed it to me, and he said, I want you to make sure you take this. And when you get to Pensacola, you're going to need some bread and milk. And I said, I called him Papa. I said, Papa, I don't want to take your 50-cent pieces. But he insisted. He insisted. And I took those 50-cent pieces, and I never spent them because they represented the love and the sacrifice of my granddad that wanted to give me a better future, and I had a better future because of the sacrifice that he had made. Make sure that you're grateful. Revere people that bless you and are good to you. King David was the warrior. King David sacrificed. And I I don't know who you're thinking about right now who has sacrificed for you. There's been some people that have sacrificed for you, some people that have given their life, They've, they've, they've shed their blood, they've poured their sweat out for you, and you're standing on the shoulders of other people. And anybody that's successful, anybody that makes it in life is always standing on the shoulders of somebody else. I'm standing on the shoulders of my dad. I'm standing on the shoulders of other people that went before me that sacrificed, that made changes in the church world. They made changes that were controversial and they lost their jobs and they were under pressure, but they could see a future that we needed to move toward and they paid the price and now we just kinda step in and we can sing anything we want to, we can worship the Lord, we can be creative in our services, but that didn't come free. It cost some people something very valuable. You know what I love about Solomon is when he became king, he went to Gibeon and made a sacrifice there. Uh, He offered a thousand uh, uh, sacrifices on this altar. By the way, it says in Chronicles that in Gibeon was the tabernacle, the old Mosaic tabernacle, and he went there and worshiped the Lord there, and he went to sleep that night. He had a dream, and when he had this dream... The dream, the Lord appeared to Solomon, and he's a new king, and he's just a young man, probably not even 20 years old. He has this dream, and the Lord says to him in the dream, he said, Solomon, you ask for whatever you want to ask for, and I'm going to give it to you. (laughs) How would you like to have that? How would you like to have the Lord tell you, whatever you want, I'm going to give you? You know, some of you say, hey, I I I want to be skinnier, I want to be good looking, I want to be wealthy, I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I I don't know what you would ask for. But Solomon asked that the Lord would give him wisdom and a discerning heart. He said, because I'm a little child, I'm just a little child, and I'm not qualified to lead your people, Lord. And I need you to give me your wisdom so I can lead these great people of yours. What a great story. He asked the Lord for something, not for himself, but for the blessing of other people, the benefit of other people. By the way, that is the sign of a great leader. A great leader is not about himself. The great leader doesn't get people around him or her for them to feed his or her ego. A great leader is always invested in the welfare of other people. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for other people and That's with Solomon's greatness. Solomon said, Lord, give me wisdom, give me insight, give me direction so that I can lead your people well. And the Lord blessed him with wisdom and he was able to lead and he was prosperous. And the Lord said, because you asked for wisdom to bless my people, I'm going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you fame. I'm going to give you uh, power. I'm going to give you everything you didn't ask for. And what's interesting about Solomon is he he led so well for so many years. Now here's the thing about Solomon. Solomon began his life and his career so well, but if you look at the end of Solomon's life, the Bible says he married all these foreign women. He had 700 different wives. That's a lot of mother-in-laws. That's all I can say. 700 wives, 300 concubines. And these weren't This wasn't based on his sexual promiscuity. This was this was Solomon trying to make alliances with all the nations around him, and he was leaning on his own understanding. He said in Proverbs, you know, Solomon wrote, you know, trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. You know, sometimes we tell other people what we should be doing. And he was getting all these alliances. And the Bible says that these women that worship foreign gods that came to these foreign countries, that they turned his heart away from the Lord. And he he began well, but in the end. He was lost, and he got he lost his way, and he began to worship these foreign gods. And instead of influencing these nations, he was influenced by the nations. Now I don't know what's happening to you right now. If you're surrounded by you know the secular world we live in, maybe you're in a secular uh, educational system. You know we all watch secular music, movies, and TV. And are we being? influenced by the culture or are we influencing the culture you know what we need to do you know it's it's it's, it's important for us to remember that it's our mission not to be shaped by culture but to shape culture And I have to always watch myself. When I went through the University of Delaware and Salisbury University and all my secular training, I had to make sure that I wasn't going to allow those systems to change my worldview because I had a worldview that was based on, on, on the Bible and on loving the Lord. Now, if you've ever done Easter eggs, here's a picture of some Easter eggs. And uh, think about, I do this with my grandkids. We have Easter eggs that we make at uh, Easter time. And you think about an egg. So an egg is placed in this uh, jar, and the jar has, you know, the, the vinegar and the water and the, the little pellet you put in there that changes. And you dip the egg in, and the egg becomes colored by the bowl that it's in. Make sure that you don't be influenced, but that you are an influencer. Are you being influenced, or are you an influence, influencer? We need to make sure that we can, we can be careful in that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed, don't be pressed in to this world. Back when I, was, uh, when I first started here uh, at Bayshore many years ago, Back in about 1981, 1982, there was a lady in her church. Her name was Yvonne, and she was a very, very spiritual woman. She was very, very uh, deep. She loved the Bible. She read the Bible all the time. In fact, when I was preaching, all I ever saw was the top of her head. She was always reading the Bible when I was preaching. My sermons weren't that good, but she was having a devotion. She was reading the Bible, and she told me one time, she came up to me, and she says, I've got a word for you. There's got something I want to tell you. And and she quoted me a verse out of Jeremiah, and uh, I've never forgotten it. It really spoke to me. And she said to me, she said, she quoted this verse out of Jeremiah. I'll find it here in a second. And uh, it really spoke to me. And she said, I want you to make sure that you aren't shaped by the church and the traditional views of the church at that time, but that you shape the church. And she gave me this verse out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah fifteen nineteen through 20, and I can remember her words so clearly. She said, therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Listen to this. And this is what she said to me. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. Make sure that this people turns to you, make sure that you influence them, but that you don't let them influence you. Let me ask you, are you being influenced by the people you work with, or are you influencing those people that you're working with? This county that we live in is becoming more and more secular, more and more liberal in so many ways of its thinking. And, hey, listen, we need to have a smile on our face. We need to love Jesus. We need to be educated and growing in our community. And we need to embrace everything that's happening in our community. But we need to remember that we are not called by God to go to them. We're called to bring them to us. We're called to make sure that we aren't, we aren't conformed to a worldview that doesn't honor Jesus. It says this about Solomon, he began so well, he was doing so good, but at the end of the day, his, his wives, those foreign wives, turned his heart. It says they turned his heart away from the Lord. They turned his heart away from the Lord. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start. That's how you finish. I was watching football last weekend. I was watching the Ravens play. I was watching the Ravens play the, uh, the Indianapolis Colts. Anybody here remember when it used to be the Baltimore Colts? We all remember that. But the uh, Ravens were playing the Indianapolis Colts, and the Indianapolis Colts were killing them in the first half of the game they were just dominating the ravens. The Ravens looked so bad, and the Indianapolis Colts were playing so well. And at the end of the first half at halftime, it was 10 to seven, 10 to seven, the Indianapolis Colts. And they were first quarter, they played great. Second quarter, they played great. After halftime, the ravens kicked it in, and the ravens started scoring. And the, the play of the Colts went way down. Way down. And the Ravens, the Ravens won 21 to 10. And the Colts didn't score one touchdown, one field goal in that second half. You know, you can start good in the first quarter. You can start good in the second quarter. And that's what Solomon did. He started good in the first quarter. He started good in the second quarter. But in the third and fourth quarter, his heart turned away from the Lord. And he was influenced by the women that he married and the culture that came into his heart. The culture took over Solomon and Solomon lost his focus. Now, I can tell you during COVID, there are some people that are flourishing spiritually. They are flourishing. They're doing so good spiritually. They're walking with the Lord. This has awakened them. There's other people that they are off their game. They're off their game. They're not They're not faithfully watching online. They're not faithfully doing some things they need. And they just gradually, they're not playing the top of their game anymore. And this is a time to make sure that we learn from Solomon. Solomon was a wise, wise man who began well. But as time went on, he lost his way. So make sure you don't lose your way. The Lord's with you. He loves you and he cares about you. And he has a great future for you. I want you to pray with me right now. We're going to pray everybody that's uh, at Fenwick Island, everybody that's online, we're going to pray right now. And here's what we're going to pray. We're going to ask the Lord to just guard our hearts and keep our hearts pure so that we'll be faithfully serving the Lord. Not just the first half, but the second half and all the way to the end. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. And there's a crown left for me in glory. Let's lift our hands right now. Lord, we want to thank you for the consistency of your love, for your incredible grace and your incredible mercy for us. So God, as we pray right now, we pray that you'll, you'll seal our hearts. The old song says we're prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. We pray that we will turn full-hearted toward you and that, Lord, will be in right relationship with you and we'll love you and follow you with a passion. And we thank you for blessing us and helping us and keeping us. And I pray over everyone listening today that this is going to be a great week for them spiritually, that they're going to pursue you and run after you. And as the psalm says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you. And so, Lord, we're hungry and we're desirous of following you with all of our heart. We ask this in the name of our Father, in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, I can't tell you how much I love you guys. You guys are amazing. And next week, we're coming toward the end of this series of Mega Moments. Don't miss next week. Make sure you share this program. And I love you guys, and I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family.
1: Thank you again for listening. God bless you.